So when I was 18 years old, I had this super hot girlfriend named Mandy. And at the time, um, we were actually in a band together that each summer um, would record an album and tour around the country playing concerts at churches. It was actually a pretty sweet gig for a kid. Um, But we'd start each summer with a bunch of rehearsal, and then we would go into the studio and record. Um, So so one day, we were in the studio, and my friend Heather was recording the song that was supposed to be her solo. Um, And she was really struggling. Her voice was really weak. Um, She could hardly choke out the notes. And eventually, um, she just broke down crying um, in the sound booth. Now, mind you, I had never even heard the song she was singing before that very day. Um, And I wasn't really paying much attention. but, But when she broke down, something very gross and embarrassing welled up inside of me. I decided for some reason in that moment that I was going to be the hero. I was going to go into that sound booth and talk her through this. Because in my mind, I'm, she was clearly upset that her, that her voice wasn't doing what she wanted it to do. So I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I decided to go in there and coach her through it. You know, like the professional that I was at 18 years old. Um, Another friend of mine was actually about to walk into the sound booth before me, but I was like, no, 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 I got this. Anyway, as I got into the booth, I started yammering on about vocal technique and confidence, and and she'd be fine if she could just, you know, kind of push through and focus, and um, she just kept crying. I mean, I was baffled. Nothing I said was helping. And then that other friend walked in and told me what was really going on. You see, Heather had lost a young cousin that year to a terrible heart condition, and the song that she was trying to record was all about him. She was getting choked up. And as it dawned on me what was really going on, I realized what a complete fool I'd been. I had no idea, but it was worse than the fact that I had no idea. It was that I didn't even realize that I had no idea. I mean, I thought I knew what was really happening and I made everything worse. I don't know if I've ever felt more awkward in my entire life. It felt like a real life episode of The Office and I was Michael Scott. There is not much worse than somebody who doesn't know what they don't know. And so, I'd like to introduce you to somebody just like that. His name was Saul, and Saul was absolutely sure of himself. You ever meet anybody like that? I mean, he knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. He had studied under the most revered scholars of his day. He was a religious leader. People looked up to him. People listened to him. He told them how to live, what to do, what not to do, and they listened. And he was a Pharisee, which meant that he took the Old Testament Jewish law deadly seriously. His entire life was wrapped up in what he knew that he knew about how God related with people. And he was alive at the time of Jesus. Now, we don't really have any suggestion that Saul and Jesus ever crossed paths. But but after Jesus' death and after his burial and after his resurrection, 
when the church began to grow and people began to put their faith in Jesus, Saul was out of his mind about it. I mean, he saw this growing cult as an attack on the truth about what God expected of people, and he made it his mission to destroy it. Now, David actually introduced Saul to us last week with the first time we see him in Scripture. We catch up with him as he's leading a mob to kill a man named Stephen for preaching this heresy about the resurrection of a guy that they'd crucified and that he was somehow the son of God and that that he had the power to forgive sins. I mean, for, for Saul, it was complete lunacy. But all of these good God-fearing Jewish people were getting sucked into his lies, and Saul snapped. He decided that he would do whatever it took to stamp out this crazy cult and protect the souls of the people who might be led astray. And so, after he had Stephen stoned, he started a crusade to eradicate the world of these followers of Jesus of Nazareth, and he did. Uh, He went house to house. Believers were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were even killed. The dude was ruthless. And when he had scattered most of them from Jerusalem, he began hunting them down in other cities and other towns. And so our story today happens as he's traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus to continue doing what he knew for sure was right. And so here's how the book of Acts describes it. It says, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who the heck are you, man? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and then you'll be told what you need to do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now we often call this little chunk of scripture, Saul's conversion. um, And it might even say that as the heading in your Bible. And it's accurate. This was Saul's conversion experience, but that word conversion has taken on a weird meaning. I mean, it brings up images of colonialism where Christians would conquer another culture and convert all of the native population. It smacks of some Bible thumper trying to win converts at a tent revival. But here's the truth. A conversion is just an experience that makes us aware of our own blindness. And that's what Saul had. He thought he knew. He thought he saw things clearly, but he was blind to his own blindness. I wonder, am I? Are you? 
I wonder if you've got the guts to honestly ask yourself this question with me. Here's the question. Where am I blind to my own blindness? You see, I I believe we all need a conversion experience, ongoing conversion experiences. And I'm not talking about changing religions. Throughout the course of our lives, we all need to be made aware of our own blindness over and over again. That's what Saul needed, and God gave it to him. And God is so creative. I mean, he wanted to help Saul to see what was really going on, so so he gave him a physical representation of his spiritual blindness. Jesus appears to him. He tells him the truth. He lets him experience the supernatural power of God and then leaves him physically blind to teach him all about his spiritual blindness. Three days. He was blind for three days. I mean, we usually read past that part really fast, but I want you to imagine what those three days might have been like for Saul. He was completely helpless. His entire world was rocked, and he was reeling from his his spiritual experience. He had, had to rethink everything he believed about this cult that he had been persecuting. I mean, could he possibly have been wrong about all of it? He was confronted with his own spiritual blindness, and he was forced to live in that for three years. Days. I wonder if we all should spend three days in a blindfold. I mean, maybe we would come face to face with our own spiritual blindness. This series that we're in right now is called Acts, A Study in Purpose. And I'd like to suggest that part of our purpose, part of why God has us here on this planet, is to become the people he created us to be, to grow, to change, to learn. One of the core aspects of purpose is conversion, having experiences that make us aware of our own blindness. But there's a problem. Because we all think we're right, right? And if we didn't think our understanding of the world was right, it wouldn't be our understanding of the world. It's natural to think you're right and everybody who disagrees with you is wrong. Saul thought he was with the good guys and that the believers were the bad guys. And we look at him and we think, wow, (laughs) he was wrong but we're exactly the same way. Whatever groups you and I align ourselves with, whether it's spiritual or relational or theological or political, we think that we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. But most likely, each of us has some things right and some things wrong. No matter who we are, No matter how much we've studied, how sure we are of what's right, we are all blind to our own blindness. So what does that even look like? How about some examples? Um, Here's here's the first one. I believe that there are people who go to church every single week who are blind to the fact that their experience with Jesus has been replaced with religious activities. 
You know, just do the things that are the trappings of faith without actually digging in to a real connection with God. We're blind to our own blindness. Here's another one. There are those of us who are blind to how fear affects us in our struggle with being generous. I mean, we tell ourselves whatever we need to in order to stay blind to it. We, we've got tons of excuses for why we need to take care of ourselves before we can help anybody else. I believe we sometimes want to stay blind when it comes to generosity. Here's another one. This one's all over the place right now. We look at people on the other side of the political aisle with contempt and we excuse it by telling ourselves that they're the bad guys and we're the good guys. We're blind to our own blindness. How about one more? We have all this racial justice stuff that's happening around us and we see the racial justice movement as an attack on us instead of seeing it as a struggle for equality. We are often blind to our own blindness. See, we all need a conversion experience like Saul had. We all need to be made aware of our own blindness, but we will never get there unless we are willing to be open to having been wrong. Now, I got to say that one more time. We will never have a conversion experience until we're willing to be open to having been wrong. I believe that the most powerful statement for change that anybody can make is this. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I've always thought that I know how to interpret scripture, but, but on this one, maybe I'm wrong. I think I know what is best for our country, but on some things, maybe I'm wrong. I think I know how to be a good Christian, but maybe I've always been wrong. I think that I know how race impacts people who are different from me, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I think I know the answers to some of life's, life's hardest questions, but, but maybe I've been wrong. I believe that one of the most courageous things that anybody can do anymore is to admit that they're wrong about something, but it is also the bare minimum of what we need to do if we want to grow and change. If we want any kind of conversion experience, it all starts with that. Maybe I'm wrong. So I would like to ask you to consider doing four things as you process Saul's conversion. First, we all need to recognize and admit that we are blind to our own blindness. We don't know what we don't know. We all have places where we're wrong. Is it possible that we could admit, every one of us today, that most likely there are things that we believe that we are wrong about? We are blind to our own blindness. And so when we recognize it, 
I want to invite you to ask God to reveal to you some part of your blindness. I mean, I know it's hard. I know it's a scary thing to do. But if you have the guts, you could take it a step further and not just ask God, who I believe will reveal it to you through his Holy Spirit, but you can also ask people who love you and know you to share with you where they might see your blind spots. And if God reveals something to you, as he does, spend time meditating on it. Spend time thinking about it. Keep saying to yourself, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, Saul meditated for three days and he fasted while he did it. And maybe you would consider a three-day fast. Now remember, a fast can be food, but it doesn't have to be food. It can be something else. I mean, what about the idea of a three-day fast from our phones and our computers and our TVs so that we can clear our heads and meditate on whatever blind spots that God reveals to us. And finally, and this one is really difficult. If God reveals them and you meditate on them and you change your mind, share your wrongness. Be open about how you're changing. Talk about it with your small group. Talk about it with your family or one of our pastors. Talking about it makes it real. Now, I know I just listed four things that you can do, um, but I don't want to leave you with some religious four-part homework assignment. Maybe um, something that I shared rang true for you today. And if it did, um, our tendency is to think, now i got to work really hard at fixing that. But the gospel isn't about us working hard at becoming the people that we think that we're supposed to be. We are not alone in this. It's the Holy Spirit that will whisper these things over your heart, but he will also partner with you to take you where you need to go. But when he does reveal our blindness, he doesn't doesn't do it because he's mad. He doesn't do it because he's disappointed. You know, that same Saul who was blinded to reveal his own blindness, he said, I mean, this was the guy who was breathing out murderous threats against God's people. He said, it's hard for us to realize that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. He, God, wants to lead you into a conversion experience with his love, not with his wrath. I mean, it's why Jesus came to earth. It's why he modeled the kind of life that we were meant to live and then gave that life up for us on the cross. He paid the price for our sins so that when we are wrong, and we all have been wrong, and let's be honest, we all are wrong in some ways right now. It's God's kindness that leads us back to the truth, not his wrath. So if God is moving in your heart, don't be afraid. Don't wall him off. Admit that you might be wrong. Invite the Holy Spirit to bring his loving kindness to work in your life and experience 
the kind of conversion that we all need. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.